Howdy. Everybody's doing good today. I got kind of a mess up here today with my notes. Sometimes when I preach, I only have an outline, and sometimes I have crazy notes like today, where it's just kind of scattered and all over the place. So hopefully. Yeah, there you go. I guess he was with the Eagles for a while, too, so you know him well. First off, before I start preaching today, um, I really have it on my heart just to tell you guys thank you for anyone that has been praying for me and my health uh, with the battle I've had with Crohn's and the last month being super sick, probably the sickest I've ever been in my life. I had 12 days of hell, pretty much. That's the best way to put it. I was in constant pain every second I was awake, bad, and I would rate it on the 7 to 9 and maybe a 10 here and there, um, but bad. And so God does, does things in our life, and I strongly believe for me and my family specifically to prepare us for the present and the future. And God like totally, completely stripped all confidence and pride from me and threw it in the wood chipper. I don't know if you guys have ever seen one of those or not, but they and they throw out. You can put these huge logs in, and they throw out the chip and make the mulch. But I feel like God just stripped me of any confidence at all, and I was low and in a dark place there for a while. Not blaming God or angry at God, but angry and and frustrated at myself for not being able to do things. But but more importantly, I want to thank you guys for encouraging my wife. praying for her. I mean, you guys made food. There was cards. There was encouragement. Um, I think you guys prayed for her one Sunday when I wasn't here, and she totally pulled, she pulled me out of the pit and was there for me a rock. I don't know how she did it, so I just want to say thank you publicly for that, and that's a continuous. You guys have always, that's the part of being a family. We share each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, and when you experience that personally, you see it in the church, and it's major uplifting, and, and God does things not just for the individual going through times of trial, but the people that are connected or influenced as well. I, don't, I think it's really going to drive this semester, just my mindset. God will just restore your mindset to what's important, and he can do this through many things. I mean, that mission trip you all just went on, that's an area. Uh, tragedy, death, it's not always that, or maybe it's something exciting, that, that you've done, something amazing, maybe a prayer that was answered. Here recently, we had, we're going on this trip coming up, and a couple of the students weren't able to get off work. <clears throat> Just a small praise here. And so I was like, hey, let's all join together in unity and pray. And I know at least a couple of them did. They answered back. But the kind of prayer where not, like real prayer, where you go away, you are not distracted and pray. And I believe we, we did that, and God answered our prayer that day, and those two students got off work. So I thought that was pretty cool. They were struggling to get off work, and then they did. And that's just one way God answers prayer when we stand united together um, as one. Is the PowerPoint crashed, or do we have a... Did it turn off? I don't know what's going on here. Um, Oh, there we go. I don't know what's going on. Okay, so God does things in unity, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. If you've seen the great seal of the United States or the presidential seal, um, you see this image here of the eagle and e pluribus unum, unum, I guess how you say it, it's Latin for of the many, one, or out of the many, one, from the many, one, was the motto that they came up with um, there in the late 1700s. 
And what it means is, if you look at the eagle here, you'll notice that it has 13 stars, and there's a lot of 13 stripes, and that's the 13 colonies, that, you know, and then it has an olive branch with 13 olives on it. You can see here on its right, yeah, right claw, talon, and then there's 13 arrows on the left side. And so what this represents is war and peace. The arrows are for war, the olive is for peace, and the eagle is facing the peace side. So he's facing towards peace. So that means that, a couple of things here, the United States melting pot, we know that. Um, United we stand, divided we fall. There's so many different nations that made up our great country. Uh, there's so many different ideas and philosophies, and yet, at least in theory, we're supposed to be united together as one. And then, so we have this unity. We, if you're like me, I don't like confrontation or a fight, but if you have to do it, you're ready. And that's how we are as the United States. That's what that is supposed to symbolize, is we're together, we're united, we don't want war, and yet we're ready for it. Um, And here recently, it seems like our leadership, our president, there could have been things where we could have exploded and gone to war, and for he's backed off, the nation's backed off a little with Iran, North Korea, and things. That There could be crazy war, but wanting peace. So we need to be praying for peace in our leadership in the time, the day and age it is, with how people are and just the crazy time it is in different nations and how, how quick it could escalate to where we're all out war. I mean, it'd be one missile. If you take one missile or one threat, that would be World War Three, and it's just right on the verge of it. Um, before I re- we really dig into the message, I want to ask you guys a question, and I've been back and forth on this, my heart, because it's a hard question. This message is pretty hard today. I hope it challenges you and convicts you. I, I love doing that. I love challenging and convicting myself, so if you know me, you're going to know right away that this is coming from a place of love. Um, if you don't know me, if you're a visitor, you might think today's a little harsh. I hope not, but I want to ask you a question before we start. Would you, do you, consider yourself a follower of Jesus? And I would say everybody here most likely is going to be like, yeah, I would follower. The word follower, I could call myself a follower of Jesus, yes. But then I want to change that word. Do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? A disciple, not just a follower. Is there a difference there? I'm going to read some stuff. I just want you to kind of chew on that today during the sermon. Are you a disciple? I'm going to read some things here, what Jesus calls and requires of his disciples. In Luke 9, verse 23 through 26, he said to the crowd, this is Jesus talking, "If If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and let you, you, yet you lose your own soul? You've lost yourself. You've been destroyed. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Have you ever been ashamed to do... I was going to wear a shirt yesterday that said, fishing with my buddy, it said... Uh, Jesus is my Savior, not my religion. And I had a moment there before I put it on. I wasn't ashamed, but that's a pretty bold message. And I had like a quick, what's he going to think of this shirt? Am I ashamed of the gospel? And I was like, put it on. But I had like a moment where I had that 
like an internal, do I want him to see this? What's he going to, and he's a real good friend. I don't even know why I had it. But I think there's a lot of little things where we can be ashamed of Jesus. And so we won't speak, we won't say things. Um, but as a follower, not supposed to be ashamed. In Mark, he says, if you try to hang on to your life again, you're going to lose it. If you try to build yourself up, it's all about you. You're going to lose your life, but if you lay yourself down, lay your crowns down, he's going to raise us up. Luke 14, it says, a large crowd was following Jesus. There's always people following Jesus looking for miracles. They don't want a relationship with him. They want to be entertained and see a miracle. He turns around him and he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, even your own life in comparison. Hate them. I'm first. They're, they're next. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. And I think this is something a lot of people fail to do. They don't count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. Um, There's a pastor, I think it was uh, Ted from Woodland Hills, he'd always say, Salvation is free, it costs nothing because of the grace of God, but discipleship costs everything from us. Everything. So then he goes on and he talks about somebody going to build a house. If you guys build a house or build anything, wouldn't you sit down and analyze, well, what's this going to cost? Do we have the funds? Because you don't want to start doing it and then not have a fund. And then it talks about going to war. Wouldn't you want to count the cost first? If the other army has a bigger army, why wouldn't you send out delegation to make peace? Why would you go up against an army of 100,000 you got 20,000 and, and be destroyed? But he's talking about counting the cost. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own, all of you. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So unsalty salt, pretty useless. I think some of us are there, and I have been there at times. Unsalty salt. Um, so are you a disciple? Do you call it, could you, can you stand before the Lord today? Like if, if the Lord came back today, trumpet called, but did it and we're in heaven, we're with him, we meet him, and we're standing before him. Can you say honestly, in humility, and evaluate yourself objectively, I'm your disciple. I've given up everything, and I, in comparison, I hate all else. The things I own, even my two boys and my lovely wife, do I put you first over them always? Am I truly following you as you desire? That's a pretty tough question. Um, a pretty hard one. Yeah. So I want to break some of this down here. I have this seal here again. Today's about unity and growing unity and what the church is supposed to be in, in our nation as well. Um, just to reiterate the, the seal here, the e pluribus unum, we're supposed to be together out of the many one. Unum is one. And it seems like today in politics, there's no unum. We have no unum. There's no one. There's just a divide that seems to be getting more radical and more split apart. And you'll see my generation of millennials, there's these voices of radical, like there's strong right and strong left, and it just seems like we're divided. And whether that's going to lead to falling or not, I'm not sure. And in the church, you see it as well, in American church, how we are with, uh, within ourselves. But then churches that aren't Baptist are we united with them? And then the global church, are we, are we praying for... The Bible will say, if you read it, pray for believers. They're really being persecuted. They're really going through things. Do we take time to stop and think about this, these people in China 
don't need lights and the projector and this video I'm going to show here later. They have the love for Jesus and they're hiding. Are we praying and, and sharing their burdens even though we don't know them? A global unity, a oneness. So I, I, I see a lot of division today, and it's, it's sad. It's really sad. There's a, there's a church I was looking at, their vision statement, their mission, uh, what, what they're about. And one of the things that they said, they define unity as, we refuse to whittle down our unity by demanding we all think alike in every area. Unity isn't believing the same thing, it's serving the same purpose. So even though we have all these disagreements, uh, we can theologically disagree, you know, we can have different preferences about the church, but we're supposed to be united as one. The early colonies, there are 13 there, I believe if I'm right, the six of them were state theocracies that was a state religion, each one of them, which, interesting side note, that did not... Um, ruined separation of church and state. The same time Congress was debating the First Amendment, there was six states that had theocracies, and yet that wasn't a separate. That was totally cool with separation of church and state. Interesting to think about um, what they say today. You know what the separation of church and state is. But the point is, the differences were allowed so that you could still be united in the same purpose, and it allows for us to have freedom. There's freedom in things that are non-essential, but in the main things, Jesus died on the cross, our faith, it's through him, it's, it's, that's the way. There's no other way, Jesus on the cross. The, the essentials, we are united and we should agree, but on the smaller things, we should, there's freedom, and there should always be that level of freedom. Um, so we have that unity, and I want to I break down some things here. So it's called the mystery of unity. That's what I've been on, been on my heart. So if we think about mystery, I think a lot of times we try to solve the mysteries of God instead of staring at and offer awesome reverence. We try to understand or put it in a box um, like we do all things. We don't necessarily look at it as something that's perplexing and un, unknowable. We try to put it, break it down so we can understand it. I think a lot of things with, with God, supernatural, we can't understand, and we're not supposed to, uh, and we don't take time to meditate on his mysteries and just how awesome he is and how he does things, his ways, his thoughts, how they're different, and, and in turn, how we're supposed to adjust and change to his ways. It's radically different than we as humans think, and operate. And part of the mystery is that God's temple is not this building. It's not the temple that was burned down in 78. It's His dwelling place is not inside a wall. The mystery, part of the mystery is the. it's in each one of us, all his believers, all his children, all around the world. And that's the unity I'm talking about. And the mystery is how can God be one with the Son, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one, and then we have unity as a local church, and then we have unity in our town with other churches, and then we have unity in the global church, but how we're all drawn together by the Spirit in a unity, and it's a mystery, how, how we're held together through His Spirit. And this unity, you know, again, is making the same purpose, the same vision, being unified, being together, being a team, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, lifting each other up, and being on the same page, even though we disagree. On things, and so 
the first thing here is the Trinity, unity, unity between Father and Son. I don't really like this picture because it looks like Thor and Odin. I don't really like it, but I was trying to find some pictures that would represent the Trinity, and that's the problem. There aren't any symbols or pictures to represent this mystery. I don't care who you are, what theologians write about the Trinity. You know, they're one and they're separate. It's a mystery. It's, it's a mystery to truly understand how something is one and not one, right? I mean, I, you, can, you can repeat the correct theology on it, but it's supposed to be a mystery. How is the Father and the Son one? If we turn to John 17, Jesus is praying. First he prays for his disciples, and then he goes and he prays for everybody. And this kind of helps us understand this unity or what I'm talking about between Father and Son. And John 17, verse 20 through 26 um, if, you, if you would like to turn there to follow, <clears throat> he says, I am praying not only for these disciples that he's talking about that's with him right there, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's every one of us today. We all believe in the word of Christ through the gospel, through the Bible. He's praying for us 2,000 years later. I pray that they will be, that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity and oneness that the world knows you sent me and that you, Father, love your children as much as you love me, Jesus. Pretty profound words there. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, in heaven later, in the kingdom of heaven. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed them to you. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So there's a lot of... I and you, you and me, perfect unity, may we be one together. So if you think about Father, Son, God is spirit, and I seem like I speak on this a lot with the youth because it's just this mystery of God is spirit. He's not material. He's not a created thing you can touch or analyze or you can't, you can't, there's no way to scientifically observe the Father, the spirit, and yet Jesus was fully God, fully man, and yet he had flesh like me, he had chemicals, in his mind, you know, our, our emotions, he experienced depression. He uh, humbled himself. The Bible tells us he humbled himself and he gave up his divine attrib- attributes. He wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't everywhere. There's places where it says Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom, so he wasn't all-knowing. He didn't know when he was going to return. Only the Father did. So he gave up these areas of life in humility, but yet was still one with the Father, and he submitted perfectly to the Father. So in unities, he always says, I don't do what I do on my own accord. I do what the Father tells me to do. He's always in sync. Jesus, if you look in the Bible and the Gospel, Jesus is always doing what the Father's putting on his heart. And even questioning, you know, made this cup of suffering pass. Should I, should I really do this? Am I supposed to, you know, questioning, being anxious, and he submitted. So that unity comes out of submission and something that's a mysterious thing that supernatural that God does, that's Him, this Trinity, this unique person of God and how He chooses to put Himself on display. And again, I think it's a mystery 
completely, and it, and it should remain a mystery, um, just so that we, we're in awe of God. We can't fully understand Him, and that's okay. We can't fully understand Him. So if you look at other unity, the Bible talks about unity between Jesus and His bride, and we see this in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.31. As scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And so that, going off of John 17 in this, so Jesus is the husband and we are the, we are the bride together in unity. And our marriages are supposed to represent this unity, and there's a, a mystery in it in this unity. And also in Revelation 19, I got a lot of scripture today, so you're going to have to bear with me. In Revelation 19, 6 through 9, there's a vision of the end. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he's added, these are true words that come from God. So this is kind of what this picture, if you can see it very well, is like a wedding feast with one of those huge tables like on Batman. I mean, if you've seen the original Batman, but he sits down and then he's got the table that's probably from here to there. Can you pass the salt? It's like way down there. But it's going to be, I think about this celebration, this marriage, when Jesus returns. You know, when, he's, when he does the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, he's drinking his wine. He says, I'm not going to drink of this again until... This moment when we're celebrating this unity of husband and wife between Christ and his bride. And that unity of our marriage. Here you see the wife kicking the husband into the water. It's pretty funny. So if you've been married very long, you understand this dichotomy between the difference between when we are together as a team, we're representing Christ in the unity. When we are out, out of sync... And we're not really clicking very well. We're kind of enemies and at each other's throats. Are we representing the gospel then? And this is life. If you've been married very long, you, you know what I'm talking about. You feel like you're two boats passing through the fog out in the ocean. Or you're, we're so busy. With Ashley and I, I feel like sometimes we'll get where we're so busy, we're doing stuff. You have what you do in, during the day. You get off, you got the kids you got to feed them, you got to get them ready, and then just the time spending together in relationship suffers, and so your unity, our unity, it suffers, right? You guys experience this, right, where you don't feel as close, but then what, ha or let's say you're in an argument or, or some disagreement, usually over something really stupid, and what happens is I don't want to be the first one to be humble and submit and say, I Will you forgive me? I was wrong. I want to win the argument, and I don't want to be seen as weak. And we both do it. We all do it. And that's what makes the division worse is we don't want to be the first one to be humble, right? Yeah. And this works with the church and all, all relationships. We're just a proud, a proud people. Um, one more thing about the, the wedding and Christ's promise to come back. In the Jewish culture, they would have 
You know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't true, I wouldn't say this. And so in Jewish culture, what they would do before they got married, the uh, bridegroom would, the son would live with the father. And what the father would do is he would add an addition to his home and prepare a living place for his future daughter-in-law and his son. And the bride would stay at home and would have no idea when the bridegroom was going to come to get her. She didn't know when the house was going to be ready for her for the time to get married. And they were considered married during this time. It was a betrothal period. But what would happen, the father would finish, and the son would work together. The father would oversee it. And when they were done, they'd come down the street to the area. It'd be a celebration. The, the bride has no idea he's coming. It's totally surprised. And they come and she's either prepared or not prepared. And so in that we see, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Many mansions for all bro- brothers and sisters. We don't know when he's coming back and we got to be ready for him. It's just a pretty cool picture. One of the little details that helps see it. And when he would have been speaking to them about that, they would have knew right away what he was talking about. Um, I have this video here that talks about... Um, some advice for how we can keep unity between wife and husband that we'll play here, if you can get that. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve, and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriage is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's Sorry. our faux pas. Sorry about that. We've got some killer marriage tips we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance... Finish your wife's sentences for her. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember... Allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. 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 That not make sense. It is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak... And then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. 
Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Okay. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh, those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. She didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and send this thing off for some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We going to do that with us? I, I, t I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. It's kind of, like, weird. silly good laugh yeah those are not good tips at all if you want to be united with your wife that's terrible i think the best one was put your wife in time out and then as she's acting up reminder you're being just like the kid <laughs> oh that's terrible but unity so we can see oftentimes there's our conversation or our attitude in how we are together in private you know, with each other at home is a lot different than the display that we put on in public. And so marriages, we need to be praying and fighting for marriages. And I pray and hope you, if any of you are in a season, a funk, hopefully a temporary time of disconnect, that you notice, you notice it. It's like with anything, you have to notice it first and then be willing to submit out of mutual love for each other. Um, and we can see in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul gives us the roles of husband and wife. The husband is supposed to be like Christ, give his life up for the church, um, give his life up for his wife. And the wife is to submit willingly out of love, out of choice, because she wants to, not being out of force or coerced. God doesn't coerce us to follow him or to love him, and we're supposed to submit to him because we want to. We want to follow him. We trust his leadership. A wife wants to submit to the godly leadership of her husband, but there's also a mutual submission together, a teammate, a helpmate. And so we see this unity. We're supposed to be united just as Christ in the church, husband and wife, is supposed to represent that. Uh, and then we see this unity between all believers. And we see that again in John 17. You go back over that. May they all be one. He's talking about everyone. Um, and then in Ephesians 3 verse 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Again, use that word mystery. This mystery here is Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See in Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to all non-Jews. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we see all together, everyone who believes. Romans 10, 12 through 13. For the scriptures say, 
everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, or whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we see this, everyone. It's not just for Covenant Baptist Church to be united. It's not just for you know, the U.S., for it's worldwide, all of us, and through history, how we're going to be one. That just to me is a mystery and amazing to think about. How are we going to be one? How am I going to be one with each one of you, all of it, as Jesus and the Father were one? Try to think of that, and that's an amazing mystery, but awesome. And, and how do we, that unity that we have, we can have now, it's not fully complete, but one day that will be, that's the prayer, that's Jesus' prayer, that we're all united as one, as a family. And that should be our goal as a church, to grow in unity, to strengthen in unity how we're, we're helping each other, how we're building each other up. should be the focus and our, our mission, our mission here. I want to ask you a question. Each of us, in order to be united, so what God does is we share each other's burdens, just like y'all did with me in my family. We take on each other's hurts, and we we genuinely, if you genuinely and authentic, authentically care and ask the questions that get below surface level, you know and you sense it. If you have a conversation with somebody that you're in a hurry or rushed or there's just not time. You can't really have a real conversation, and those don't really build unity. And I, and I get it. It's awkward. Like here at church during the time before, if you're trying to talk to different people, sometimes there's just not the opportunity to really have a conversation. That's why it is essential that those conversations and unity happen outside of this wall right here. And I've been really convicted by the least amount of time we should be spending together as a family is inside these walls. It should be, we should be hanging out and doing things outside. And if you, like with me with the students, if we do stuff outside of the church, our bond and we, they, we get to know each other way better. And that changes the whole dynamic. And in our life, the way it's set up, you can't be with people all the time. We only have a certain amount of time to, that is available outside of our family and work and everything. But the unity that God's drawing us to is much deeper than a surface-level conversation. And I think a lot of times we have to choose those relationships. Or if you're discipling somebody or mentoring somebody, you can't sit down with 100 people and try to mentor 20 people. Really, it's, it's fewer people. So you, you don't have the time. It's not really possible. So that's what's key for the church. The Bible says when we, were, when we had faith, when we first believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home here. He gave us a gift or gifts, plural. Everyone, and I want to ask you, what is your gift that the Holy Spirit gave you, and are you using that gift to help build others up? And then, we as a church, do we expect every single believer in here to put their gifts on display for unity, to build each other up? Do we expect it, to see it, to see a gift be put on display and be used? And do we encourage it? Do we draw it out? Do we notice it? Um, Or do we let the same people minister is what the Bible says is God called apostles, evangelists, ministers, pastors, the shepherds to lead in order to equip everyone for ministry, not just those who are paid on staff. Everyone is called and equipped for ministry using those gifts, and all that builds this unity. So that's kind of the hard part is where are you using your gift? 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be, again, here in this building, because our family of believers is everywhere. Are you using your gift to help, to encourage? Uh, maybe it's to teach, maybe it's not. I think most people, they don't have the ability, they don't have the gift to teach, or they're uncomfortable, or they don't, maybe you don't recognize a muscle that you have that is a gift that you enjoy, and maybe you haven't taken time to pray. Maybe you haven't really thought about, you know, I'm, I'm not here really to invest in others i'm more here to learn myself this this time here is for me to grow and to learn it's not time for me to help others and i think that's okay for a season we all need to build and we all need to take time and rest and we all need to learn but jesus the lord's telling us we're supposed to use our gift to help others and this isn't coming out of condemnation or judgment i ask this self all the time i'm paid to be a minister but really I don't ever clock on and clock off. I go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. I'm a minister still. I have a conversation anywhere. I have the gifts he's given me I'm supposed to use, and I don't always do it, and I'm not always bold, and I'll remain quiet, or I'm busy, so I won't give the person time. I mean, just earlier, Bill, I came in, and I had to finish my PowerPoint. I was like, oh, i got to get this last draft done, and he was wanting to talk, and I was like, I'm sorry, i got to go, and had to shut the door, but... That shouldn't have happened like that. I had something busy to do that wasn't wrong. It wasn't a sin. But in that moment, we, me and him didn't get to talk. So there's a lot of things like that I think we choose to do instead of investing in others and in this unity. And, and you may not know where, where you can go or where you can be used. So that's my heart and my prayer today is not to condemn you for not serving in the church in a specific area. It's really to encourage you to pray about it. And and there's ways that you can be used by God that aren't in a certain area or a certain position in the church. You don't have to be a teacher in the third grade class to be serving God. Um, there's ways that you can totally help and minister all kinds of ways, the Bible tells us. So I want to give you courage to do that, and we'll see the unity grow through that. So the last part of unity here, and we're almost done, so bear with me, is between Jew and Gentile. So I've been doing a lot of study on this here recently, and I'm still researching and studying this dynamic. If you read Romans 9 through chapter 9 through chapter 11, this is kind of a mystery and a thing that we as a church don't really talk about or I believe really understand as well. But God has brings his family together in stages. And since about the 4th century, whenever Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, we Christianity has, total, has disconnected from its Jewish roots. And there's been a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot, like, we don't understand their culture or simple things. In 1,700 years of Christianity moving away from its Jewish roots... And in reality, what I just read here was the Jew first, the Gentile second, and this mystery of unity. So what is happening now in the last days, in Israel today, there are, five, there are more Jews in Jerusalem than anywhere else for the first time in a long time. Um, if you look at world history, they didn't even have a state. Um, the, Jew, the Messianic movement in Israel Jews that believe in Jesus as the Messiah and how that's building and how Christians were supposed to support, pray, and unite. So they may still do their rituals and their feasts and 
If you look at the early church, how it was set up, the Jews still went to the temple on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and then they had church on Sunday. They still, But they did not require non-Jews to do those things. So there was freedom. But this unity is a mystery, and I really believe that it's something I have not thought about a lot and kind of neglected is our Jewish brothers and sisters that believe in Jesus. We're supposed to be standing united with them as well. So I want to read here just a real quick. In Romans eleven twenty five through 36, it says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So what he's saying here is, I think a lot of us, we have this idea, the Jews killed Jesus. They're the ones responsible for getting rid of him, so they're all, every one of them, we kind of blame them and condemn them. And then if you look through history, there's a lot of secular Jews that have done a lot of harm. Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud, they were secular Jews that abandoned God. Um, there's, there's many, so there's a, a tension, and there's racism that you see in uh, money, you know, like the money, you know, and diamonds, and there'll be these, this language that keeps us divided with them, but we're supposed to be united, full together as God's entire family, his, his first children and his, his, the children that we are now as Christians. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness, and this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Same covenant we have. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet there are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So this is a universal statement. So God called Jacob, his 12 sons, the whole, all of Israel to be his as his special possession. The land of Israel, significant. And then the gifts that he gave us that I was just talking about, the spiritual gifts that he gave you. Sometimes they're stronger. Sometimes you might have, uh, you might see something or be used in a certain way that he may not use you another way. But the gift is not revoked. He gave it to you. He blessed you with it. And it's to be used. It's not going to be withdrawn. So his promises to Israel, they're still there. They're still there. He still loves his children. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they're the ones that are rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. That's something interesting to think about. We're sinners. We're we're in this cursed world in disobedience so that God can reveal his mercy, forgive us, and, and... Bring us to him. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So everything is in existence for his glory, our church, to build each other up. All that's supposed to give him glory. Why? If you remember in John 17, he says, So the world knows you sent me, and so the world knows that you love your children as much as you love me. That's why we're supposed to be one, intended for his glory, just like our marriage is supposed to represent the unity of Christ in the church, always on display. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we're talking about this mystery. Who can understand God? And this is one of my 
favoriters. And now we see things imperfectly, dimly, as in a mirror, cloudy water, um, not perfect clarity. It's fuzzy. We think about the things of God. We don't fully get it. But one day we're going to know perfectly, with perfect clarity, as seeing him face to face. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. So that's unity. That's together. There's not going to be a question about God or a mystery. We're going to know him as he knows us. That's crazy to think about. It's awesome. How, how God knows the number of hair on my head, hairs on my head. He knows my desires, my thoughts. He knows my history. Um, we're going to know God like that. That's the promise. When we reach the full maturity of our unity, when Christ comes back, trumpet call, and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to have this amazing unity. And then again in Isaiah um, 55, 8 through 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts. And nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your ways. Ridiculous. Away. So he's setting these things up. Why is he allowing these things? Why does he use each other? Why does he call each person, each and every person, child, to senior adult, that's a believer, each person given a gift to be used and should be expected, are you his disciple? When I asked you, are you his follower, I think that's easy to say, yeah, I follow him, but are you his disciple, there's a whole other level of intenseness that comes with it. Are you using your gift? Are you really, truly, authentically laying down your crown, carrying your cross, um, dying to self daily, the, the things that we do through the day, through our busy schedule, when you wake up. I mean, how many of you look at your phone before you look at the Bible? Unless it's a trick question, your phone's on your Bible, so you can do that. Um, but seriously, how, how much time in our busy day are you really... Does Him and His mysteries consume your thoughts? That's really what's been burdening me and my conviction with all this, is we're supposed to have unity, we're supposed to all be used, we're supposed to see it, we're supposed to support it and call it out and and help and and keep going and growing in unity and we're supposed to be meditating on him and his thoughts and yet in the hustle bustle of life worries and cares of the world if you remember the soils the guy's going out and he's throwing the seeds in the soil the the enemy comes and picks up the seed and it doesn't produce fruit you know and the the one that falls by the uh, um, thorns and thistles it grows up real fast and then the thorns and thistles strangle it out. And those thorns and thistles are the worries and cares of the world. And what this does is it drowns out fruit. There's no fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible even tells us in John 15, by fruit, the good works that we have, we prove our discipleship of Jesus. So that's my encouragement to you, uh, is find out in prayer... If you don't know what gift you have, and some of you are you already know, it is multiple gifts, and where, if possible, can you f- be plugged in? It may not be in a specific area again. It may not be, you know, help. But there are certainly areas in ministries, the women ministry. We have so many, the men's ministry. There's so many things that you could do to help if you seek the Lord and ask some of these leaders. Hey, I want to help. Where can I help out? And a lot of times, it's just being present. And having a conversation, if you're good at talking to people and just getting real with people, that's a major gift. Not everybody can do that. And it's, you know, getting out of our comfort. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to really expand. We don't want to change. 
and do things the way we've always done them. And that thought and intention is there. So I, I want to encourage you, in order to build up unity of this church today, 2019, Mount Vernon, Missouri, to really elevate to the next level, we need to be elevating in our unity in the display of gifts. And so, like for me this year the, with the youth, I've been really convicted to let them do more things. So um, without me doing it. Um, to delegate duties so that they, their leadership and their gifts are on display, so, and mine are not, so that it opens up that opportunity. So I would ask you to pray for our church and our leadership and our, our vision and where we're going and with the u- unity that we have. I want to I ask you guys in closing some, some questions here. There comes the Canaan gauntlet of questions. What are we producing Greg, Brother Greg asked this question not that long ago in an email. Uh, Francis Chan has this book, Letters to the Church, that's totally wrecked me completely about our structure of the church and how it's set up. And I don't want to get into all that. But what are you producing? We as a church, what are we producing? What are you producing? Are you just consuming? A lot of people in America, they just come to church and they sit, they listen to somebody talk for 30 minutes, 45, an hour, sing a couple of songs, that's it. That's your church. That's what your church is, and through the week, you're not engaging the family, you're not, hang, you know, we're not, you're not really growing, you're not seeking the Lord, you're consuming. You come and you consume, and then you leave, and then you're out. And that's just, and we're okay with it. We've accepted it. Are you taking a break? Has God given you a season of break to rest? You were burnt out, you served for years, you just burn out and frustrated, but you, the time of you taking a break is over, and you know it because God's been hitting you on the back of the head. It's time for you to step back in. I don't know that. There's no one specifically I'm thinking of. It's just that's how God works through His Spirit to build us up in unity and to draw out your gift to be used. Um, what is your spiritual gift? What are they? Do you know? Are you aware? Do you need help finding out what your gift is? Because there's ways through prayer and there's different tests you can do that help you figure out what you enjoy doing. And almost, actually all the time, it's something that you enjoy. God gives you that gift, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to excel at it, but it needs to be expanded and it needs to grow. And then there's areas where we're weak that we can continue to grow. But what is that gift and are you using it or did you bury it in the sand? You buried it and the Lord's going to come back and you've buried the, the coin in the ground. I'm going to read this last verse here. Last area. In Matthew, find it here, sorry. In Matthew uh, 25, Jesus gives this parable. And this is a pretty tough parable if we think about it. So as I'm reading it, like right now, I want to prepare, prepare your mind and your thought to evaluate yourself in an honest way, which is not fun to do at all, ever, but it always leads to growth and it leads to truth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. So basically the fools don't take any oil, and the wise have enough oil, plenty of oil. They're prepared. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, trimmed their wicks. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
We didn't have enough oil. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will there are not going to be enough for us and for you, you know, go to the dealers, go buy some. Go get it. We, gotta, we only have enough for us right now. We, we prepared. We planned. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. So the wise, the ones that were ready, prepared for the bridegroom, were allowed to come in and celebrate. The door shut. Afterward, the other virgins outside, the foolish ones, they say, Lord, Lord, open, open to us, kind of like the ark. I think a picture eight people saved and people banging on the door. Let us in, let us in. No. And Jesus is going to say, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He's talking about his return. And I think we'll sit and we're comfortable. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, I'm his follower. Yeah, I'm his disciple. And the biggest fear for me, no, I don't know you. Didn't I do all this stuff? Didn't I do this and that? You know, our, what's the purpose of the church, of your calling, of being a Christian? What is the whole point of it all? It's to grow in unity with the Father, with God and each other. It's a very simple vision. But if we're not growing in unity, we don't have to be growing in numbers. It's not always numbers, but unity. We should always be growing closer to God and closer with each other. So as Greg, Brother Greg begins to play... How do we grow in unity? He's playing the song right now. You lay yourself down. How do we grow in unity? Uh, We think of others as more important than myself. I look out for my wife's needs before my own. I mean, he was joking about, you know, I take care of myself so then I can go take care of her. That's true to a sense. You need to be at rest and able to operate. But her needs first before mine Um, the students needs before mine as their youth pastor Um, taking time to slow down and to make it real to make the family real to have this family cohesion how do we do that we pray we pray for unity and a vision of unity a vision of growth in unity and I want to ask you I saw some people up here with their knees on the ground up here when's the last time your knees were literally hitting the ground praying like literally not symbolically like we'll pray I raise my hands and no we're not raising our hands when does your knees hit the ground you know what the Israelites would do when they were somber and fasting they would set they'd put burlap on which is itchy and nasty and set in the dust and put ashes on their head and pray and seek God in humility and honor so it's being humble but it's praying praying for the same thing like we the YouTube we unite and pray for the same thing together and that multitude of hallelujahs that multiply we're seeing in the beginning goes up to him and he's going to answer that but I, I wonder if we're even praying for it if all of us to get are seeking that same unity i don't know I, I yes and no that's probably the real answer so i want you to join with me in prayer please i'm going to ask you to i'm, I'm going to pray and Please join me in in unity to pray for unity with me as I'm praying. It's it's cool when somebody else is praying, you can pray with them. You can listen and pray at the same time, or you can agree, or you can meditate. It's like listening to somebody uh, read scripture. You hear the word of God, but at the same time, you're hearing what they're saying, but then God's also speaking to you, and you got multiple things. So join me, please, in prayer.
Righteous Father, Holy Father, I thank you for conviction and your spirit calling us to be more, to be better, to be closer. There's so much more you want for your children, so much more, but we're so distracted and complacent and comfortable with mediocrity. We're okay with what we've allowed. We're okay with it being as it is, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't be okay. We should want and desire passionately for you. And I pray for each one here, for those that aren't here, that we have a renewed passion for unity in our marriages, in our family, in this church, in our town, to remember those around the world, to pray for them, to be excited about another church that's doing good, that's reaching people, to genuinely praise and be thankful and not jealous about another church doing better, you know, or may we have a heart that celebrates unity and a humility that only comes from you. It's the only place it can come from. And I pray that you remind us daily. We wake up, you consume our thoughts. When we wake up and we get in the habit of doing that, of seeking you through the day and and praying for others and doing things. And the next time, here, it's going to happen here in a minute, God. Here in a minute, we're going to leave. And people are going to get out here and eat, and they're going to have a choice. They can either say a five-second conversation with somebody and keep going. If they're busy, they're busy. They got to. If they got somewhere to go, that's one thing. Or oftentimes I find myself, God, I actually have the option. I could slow down and keep talking just for brotherhood, brother and sister, just to talk. Is it really that important whatever I have to do here in 15, 30 minutes that I can't conversate and have a a cool, unique moment with one of my brothers or sisters. So I pray that today, even today, uh, amongst us, as your family, as your children, that you unite us in, in one, not like our nation in politics. We don't want to be divided like that. I think most of us are sick of it, um, that we're, we're united as a church, as a people. And uh, our youth group this year, I pray for unity among those guys that you've chosen um, to lead. And just, I pray for our leadership here, our nation, everything that we put you on display. It's for your glory and definitely not mine. I can't even get out of bed. So your glory, God, and what you're preparing us for today and for future, future things. You're building us up. I pray for the one who was convicted today about using their gifts that had an uneasy feeling. They may not like me right now. That's okay. They might, but most likely, honestly, God, I believe that you've already been working on them. You've already had at least a thought rolling around their mind. This area is a potential area I could I could help out. You know, I could at least inquire about it, um, at least ask if there's this is an area that I can help. And I I think the people here of our church are going to respond to you um, because they genuinely care and want to submit to your authority and your leadership. Um, again, God, thank you for today and this message that was on my heart. And I, I pray that it doesn't hit deaf ears or that we just forget about it here tomorrow or in an hour. That, that This one word, unity, that that stays. If we don't remember anything from today, we just remember unity. Family of God, unity. In the name of Jesus, for your glory, amen.